Hey, it's Andrew. Just quickly before we start this episode, I want to tell you about one of my favorite podcasts, the Secure Ventures Podcast. The host, Kyle McNulty, interviews cybersecurity founders about what they are building. I enjoy it because Kyle focuses on their technology, what it solves, why they build it, where it fits in the market. Also, listeners can understand the why of these startups. In some ways, it's a great compliment to my own podcast, where I focus on the go-to-market side, not on the technology side. He's had some great guests on recently, for example, the CEO of Reality Defender, when they talked about the ins and outs of deep fate detection. Uh, he's had the co-founder and CEO of Ghost Security, and also the co-founder of Radical, Chris Peterson, who was incidentally a founder of Logarithm, where they talk about the role of AI in the SOC. This is not a paid promotion. I just simply enjoy what Kyle is doing with his interviews and get a lot out of them. Check it out. It's the Secure Ventures podcast. Now on with this episode. Welcome to the Sales Bluebird Podcast, where we believe that it's plain wrong that sales teams at startups don't get the help to succeed like sales teams do at their bigger and more well-known competitors. If you're a seller or sales leader at a B2B startup, especially if it's in the cybersecurity space, you're in the right place today. I am your host, Andrew Monahan, and welcome to episode 95 of the podcast. And today's guest is Mike Baker, who is the CRO at No Name Security. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Great to reconnect with you. Thanks Thanks for having yeah, me. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this conversation. Um, so, Mike, when I look back at your LinkedIn, interesting kind of couple of bits in here. You started off in sales in the looks like the late nineties. It says here Cabletron and Interesis together. What? Why were they together? Was it? Were they part of the same company? Yeah, it's uh, uh, Cabletron is since the um, early competitor with Cisco, and then uh, rebranded itself as Interesis. Just just since the company changed its name, so same company, new name. Okay, and then from Interesis, you went to McAfee. Uh, through acquisition, is that right? Yeah, so I was at an uh, early on Israeli startup called Intercept, a uh, host-based IPS company that McAfee at that point had a, acquired uh, a network-based uh, IPS company, uh, Introvert and Intercept at the same time. And McAfee essentially acquired those two technologies and then put us into one business group. So we ended up uh, the sales team and that part of McAfee were, was selling both host-based and network-based IDS. And so that that was my start at McAfee and ended up at McAfee for, I, I think it was over 12 years, which is mildly embarrassing, but <laughs> we had a great time. Yeah, according to this, 13 years, that's quite the yeah. stretch, right? And and in yeah. those times, um, you know, essentially it was probably two or three different companies really, right? You had a yeah. different era in terms of CEO, different ownership as well at one point. Yes, correct. Yeah, that was an interesting time. You know, cybersecurity was really picking up the pace. McAfee did have a strong brand, was well known because of the uh, early antivirus days and was trying to expand into the rest of the market. So they made uh, uh, probably 10 acquisitions during that time frame. I think three different CEOs. But through and through, what we saw at McAfee was good products, uh, great selling process, um, finding the right partners and right end users, and really could make a de demonstrated value difference for end users specifically, but even for our partners. 
with some great technology. So it was an extraordinary experience for me. I wouldn't trade it. It's, it's really where I uh, learned the trade and advanced from a, a sales rep to my last position where I was reporting to the CEO at McAfee running a big piece of the commercial business. And in, in that time, I think you were in the commercial side, but also on the Fed DOD side. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a fun time. McAfee at that point, early days in federal, really had a 0% in terms of endpoint deployments, the McAfee antivirus. And so there was a couple of us, Kent Rounds was a compadre of mine, and together we uh, replatformed the Department of Defense into a program called HBSS. And so it ended up being a deployment of over 5 million nodes of McAfee, where before we essentially had no deployment within the Department of Defense. So it was a, a huge victory for McAfee. And even today, it still exists. And, and is a, it's a great program for McAfee. And, and they're executing quite well with the Department of Defense. Yeah, I remember those days, right? It was, it was quite the progression. And yeah. success from pretty pretty humble beginnings in our in our deployments in in the in the Fed, yeah. right? And it, it also provided an example to how to do just large deployments. Uh, we had a management platform called ePolicy Orchestrator (EPO), and so that was key to a lot of victories. And it, you see it across sales teams, even in my current job of running sales at No Name, is you build the belief that you can make huge value opportunities for end users, which also equates to large bookings for manufacturers. And when sales reps, and I'm really essentially still a sales rep, uh, you know, I'm a seller, I love it. And, and so when you have confidence and you can see other people doing $10 million transactions, $8 million transactions, it's it's uh, becomes easier. It's sort of like running the first person ran the four minute mile. That was hard, and then it became easier and easier over time uh, as as the belief gets to your heart and you know it can be done. And then and then it's done, right? Oh, it's so true. I remember uh, my first million dollar deal. Like you know, junior seller, you don't believe it's possible, right? You think that's right. I've got to have yeah. fifteen years experience to have the ability to do something like that, and then you you do it, and you go. Oh, it actually wasn't as difficult as I thought it was. <laughs> and I can do it again and again. Yeah, it's it's exactly that, Andrew. We were at that time we were running um there was a uh if you any deal over ten million dollars, Mac, if he gave you a two year lease on a Porsche. And so uh that that was a you know fun, just a really fun time. Yeah, it was good times. But then good times come to an end and you moved from Quite a, a big role at McAfee, right? Reporting to the CEO. And then you joined, which at the time was pretty hot, which was Silence, right? That uh, yeah. 2015 was when Silence and CrowdStrike were beginning to make inroads. Yeah. You know, I, I think that that transitions an interest we want to talk about too, because when you think about when you're at a larger company, you tend to have larger OTEs and the income is quite significant. And so when I decided to move, I called Stuart McClure and Nick Warner was over there. Nick's a, a good friend of mine. It just was time for me to leave McAfee and to do something different, but really to get back to my roots, my startup. That's how I got to McAfee. And so, you know, I, I called the guys and uh, they had a role, but literally what they were able to offer me in terms of OTE was about a third of what my W-2 was at McAfee that, that prior year. And I took the role. It was a vice president sales role. 
and my wife, as you might imagine, Andrew looked like I was completely insane. Um, but I just knew that it was the right thing. And I think that all of us face these moments where we have to make career transitions and there has to be some sacrifice because what we did in the past won't get us to where we need to be in the future. I like, it's sort of a theme that I have in my life. And so sometimes you take a step sideways or even backwards, specifically around income to grow even more, to become better. And so silence was a huge, big step for me because it, it put me back into the startup world. It put me back into that mindset of young companies and, and how to, how to build great companies, right? And, and, and get back into that mindset. And over time, the, the money comes back. And, uh, but wow, just the uh, extraordinary experiences since that early days of silence to now, it's just been, uh, you know, 2021 was my best year ever. Uh, it's just an extraordinary year of my life. And I expect 2022 to be the same. Well, let's fast forward then. Uh, silence, you were there for a year and a half or so. And then uh, made a move to a company called Armus, and Armus has yeah. become a lot more well known, right? In in cyber, yeah. uh, but at the time, I would yeah. imagine it was is pretty early stages for Armus, right? Yeah, they had just hired a, a CMO, so very young company, no customers, um, born in Israel, two incredible founders, Yevgeny uh, um, and Nadir, just a great. They're brothers of mine and super, super good friends. Um, and somehow Yevgeny Nadir uh, found me and they were recruiting me uh, when I was at Silence. And we were talking about this problem that of endpoint um, uh, security, but around devices that you couldn't put agents on. And I, it showed up to me in spades at both McAfee and Silence where customers were talking about devices that they're just you just can't you know a video camera a telephone or, you know you there's thousands of different iot devices that you can't put agents on and so we were talking about the approach that they were building and had built in tel aviv and and for me it was just a it was a, a magnificent stay at silence i think my last quarter at silence we did over 300 net new transactions so there there was this tremendous momentum in the business and the team was strong um, but I just saw this as an opportunity to to go do my own thing. And I really wanted to uh, step into the role, build, be early at a, a startup and take it from seed to as far as I could take it. And so uh, I made that transition. It was a great stay of silence. But the opportunity at Armus for me to grow as a man, as a seller, as a human, was just right in front of me. And, and and I saw the market maybe a little bit before the market showed up. If there was coaching that I could give to the audiences, is it, you know, when people call you insane, you should pay attention a little bit. But but when you when you know in your heart that it's the right thing to do, when people are calling you insane, it's probably the right thing to do. When the masses go one way, I tend to go the opposite way because that's that's where the gold is. You know, is, is it when people are running in one direction, if you'll just take three steps the opposite direction, that miracles can happen. And that, that's been my experience. So, and this was true with Armas for sure. I got a lot of coaching that this, you know, it's too early. It's, it's not, a, there's not a market. There's like, and yet what, what we did, I was there at Armas for three years and built a business, you know, over a billion dollars. There was an equity event, Google and Insight uh, invested into Armas, paid the, paid the original investors out. So everybody in the company 
experience the equity event and uh, including myself. And so then that was a good transition point for me to, uh, to go do it again and, and, and do, do something even more, um, magnificent, but Armis is in really good hands. Uh, they've got a great sales leader, great sales team. And, and of course, uh, the founders are still there and they're doing a terrific job. Yeah. Speaking of sales leaders at Armis, let me take you back. Um, you were, as I have heard, you were on quite the tear for a year or two. You would be in sales number one, built at the team, and suddenly someone else shows up above you in the sales org and you know, in the CRO role. Right. I would imagine that was well. I'll ask you, you know, was that, how did you feel about that? How did that uh, impact your your kind of you know mental state about how things were going there? Well, I think that the, uh, like, I think, uh, you know, the, the first 90 seconds of it is just like, it's sort of a wow moment. But, um, the, the critical thing is for me, this is that I knew that I needed to be better, right. And I needed to grow and needed to learn more. And, and so to have people around me and above me and below me that have done it before younger, older age really doesn't, isn't a material factor here. It's more around, how do, how do we grow? How do we become better? How do we become better leaders, sellers, humans? And so after the first 90 seconds, for me, it was like a kind of, uh, let, let's go. Let's let's continue to build this company. Let's um, uh, grow together. Um, Jeff Jeff Williams is who, who, who came in at that point. He was an advisory board member. And so it was great working with Jeff and uh, tremendous experience. Jeff has, I think the audience probably knows, has a ton of uh, terrific experiences and, and been successful at multiple different companies. So for me, it was as much of anything, it was an honor to uh, just to be, to be there, to, to, uh, to continue, like I continued to run worldwide sales. I carried the global number and uh, you know, my time at Armist, we never missed a quarter. Uh, we haven't, we, and we haven't missed a quarter. Like it's sort of a, from a startup perspective, it's so important in those early quarters, not to miss your numbers. And so you know, there's a, a lot of lot of things that I'm proud of, and and uh, but most of it is due to just having great team team members around me. Well, let's talk about that then as you move to No Name, right? So they there was a liquidity event at Armus, timing was right, um, and then you know to continue the pattern, you move somewhere else, and you know No Name at the time <laughs> wasn't well known. Um, I would imagine there's a few people telling you that wasn't the right thing to do as well, but. Uh, you, know, you went yeah. forward and did that. So why don't you give us a little bit about you know what is the value prop and no name? What do you do, and and also how how's things going over there? You've been there almost uh, eighteen months now. Yeah, it's awesome. No name is just a uh, just a super fun company. Uh, we're we're on a tear. When you think of the world today, um, specifically, if you're to compare it to twenty years ago and endpoint security, endpoint security was a tough problem to solve. There just wasn't that much out there, and so if you do some parallel tracks with No Name, No Name uh, is maniacally focused on API security, and APIs are today's new endpoints. From a perspective of it has the customer's most important data the most important information. It's directly tied to the mission of the business of how uh, information gets from partners to partners to, to partners to end users. Just in, and I think the audience is, is hyper aware of just the integration capability of I, APIs and, and the ease of use that they provide. 
And when anytime when you hear all of those words of ease of use and very important data and channels of information that are critical to the mission of the business, it, it it's also becomes the largest vector for a cyber attack and and also just human error. And so that this is what we've seen over the last couple of years. More and more, uh, there's a lot of focus around the security of APIs. Gartner, I think, even predicted 2022 will be the year that uh, APIs are the largest threat vector of all cyber attacks. So, um, so we were a, a little bit ahead of the game. Um, starting, you know, the, the, I think the company is now just at two years old. Uh, we really just started selling the product uh, in 2021 was our first really selling year. So we're just completing that physical year this January. We have uh, Fortune 10 uh, businesses. We have in every vertical, I think four out of the top five big pharmas are customers of ours. And we're able to do seven-figure transactions at a very early stage. And and the value prop is really around making sure an enterprise knows what all their API, where and what and what just about discovery of APIs because you can't secure something that you don't know and and it's nearly impossible for enterprises today without no name to know where all their enterprise all their APIs are and then we think about remediating protecting and then and then ultimately uh, within the platform we're able to test uh, APIs in a pre-prod environment with context because we have access to the traffic. We know what the APIs are, are supposed to do and what they're not supposed to do. And so as folks look at the platform and we're dealing with the largest of financials or customers, largest pharmas, telcos, the largest telco in the world is a customer. So the uh, experience that we have in selling and the team that we've been able to put together the addressable market, the the readiness of customers to and and customers knowing what a huge problem this is has really allowed us to accelerate our growth to the point where, within our first year of selling, we've just recently were announced as the first unicorn, the first billion dollar API business on the planet. So, it's it's been a, a really fun run. But we, you know, our ultimate goal is to is to take the company public and. And we're, we're tracking that way to, to do it uh, quite efficiently and quickly. That sounds like quite the tear in the last uh, 15, 18 months. Um, yeah. If I looked on LinkedIn, you don't need to comment on this if you don't want to. Uh, it says that there's roughly 250 employees now. So, you know, in a year and a half, you've gone from, you know, under 10 to 250. So, you know, I imagine obviously some of that has grown through funding, but funding and the confidence of the business probably goes with that, right? Yeah, I think it's a it's this is where experience helps Andrew honestly of of building teams at RMS of building teams at at Silence, but it's also the big company experience that I had at at uh, McAfee from going from rep to to a leader and and just sort of uh, gathering this uh, you know decades of information of what what might work and what might not work and and every company is slightly different and so just because it worked in the past doesn't mean it'll work in the future so when we saw immediately that we were ex- experiencing rapid growth i mean the the customer adoption was has just been extraordinary frankly and so as as you are cr- crushing your numbers that the board expects you then it requires you to start to scale the organization so when I started, 
in early October, uh, you know, 18, whatever that is, 18 months ago, I was the first U.S. employee. We didn't have a U.S. entity. There was absolutely nothing in the U.S. And then we took that, uh, built the entity out, got, you know, like this, the basic blocking and tapping, healthcare, everything that an organization needs uh, is we built that out. Um, but then the pay, I, 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 I just felt like the, and to my experience told me that we were going to be able to move fast with, with, uh, no name security specifically in this, in the API security space. And so what we did was we started with uh, BDR, which is unusual for most startups because typically the, the pattern is to, to hire a, a, you know, an East and a West field rep and use their Rolodex and, and go get a couple of logos and, and so we we upset the you know we did it a little differently and then it's, so this is sort of my challenge for the audience is is it look for opportunities to to shake things up a bit and try new things and not and most things that you try that are new are going to fail but when you're going to have successes too and that's what we experienced with the uh, the inside sales team and really the it, their their business development right like they're calling they're setting up appointments we we have a pretty good idea of what our uh, ICP is our ideal customer profile. And so we started with a couple of BDRs and then uh, branched out, hired a, uh, you know, uh, a great field rep in the West, hired one, you know, uh, uh, who is now a super good friend of mine, a leader in the East. Um, he came from Beulsoft. He was our the second rep. And, and then it just, it, we just grew, right? And, and, and largely it was, really paying attention to um, stage of the company, I think is like really important that you bring people in that are comfortable with whatever stage the company is at. And uh, that allows for people, if they're ready for an early stage company, it, uh, it, it, it makes things easier because I think everybody knows at an early startup, they're, they, they sort of have a sexy reputation, but once you peel the onion a little bit, it's not that sexy. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's really hard, right? To, you know, customers don't know who you are. It doesn't matter how great your tech is. You, you know, you don't have a, you don't have marketing. You don't like, you don't have all these tools that, that you would have at a McAfee or Palo Alto. So, so there's some internal, you know, guts required to, um, to power through those times, but where the BDRs really helped us a lot was, is it, it, it softened, it softened the turf a little bit. And we started having these great conversation, early conversations with customers, uh, created momentum in the business. And then when other field reps who I have, a, you know, a pretty large network, um, and they started to see the success of no name, it allowed us to recruit this immaculate talent onto the team, both in and all our solution architects, our, our our field sales reps, our BDRs, talent attracts talent. Yeah. So that's that's what we've experienced. And if you look back at your first, let's say, twenty customers, you know, roughly speaking, did where did they come from? Was it BDR, you know, coalface? Was it investor introductions? Was it Mike Baker's uh, Rolodex? Where did they come from? So I'm just thinking about our first twenty customers, and I would say that. Um, uh, thinking out loud, it's probably four of them came from the BDR team. Uh, probably, 
you know, a half a dozen or so came from our board. All right, we have a tremendous board. Uh, Gilly Renan, who runs CyberStarts, he was a seed investor. He's also a Sequoia partner. Got Thomas Crane at Insight Partners. He's terrific. He's helped us a bunch. Uh, just Insight's just a terrific uh, uh, partner. And then Lightspeed, uh, Guru Channel is is the board member there, and Guru's just amazing. He's he he built and sold Avi Networks to VM. VMware. And so you have this just incredible board. And now that the recent investment from Georgian, uh, Michael Robinson is the lead there. Michael's a good friend of mine and um, uh, just, you know, just tremendous value that the board has bring. So I, I would say probably half a dozen, seven came from kind of advisory sort of channels, right? And then the, the rest of them from, from, the channel, like traditional channel, has helped us quite a bit. You know, oh, really? the Trace Threes, Op- Optiv has been a, a terrific partner very early on. We have in our business, we have over 80, 80 partners in our our channel business. It's a it's a channel like we're maniacally channel friendly, and so the channel has been delivering to us in spades uh, very early on, which is it's another unusual thing. But we've been able to execute there, uh, and then of course the Rolodex from the field sales team has, has been helpful too. So it's a, it's a, it's a mix. We're not reliant on one or the other. Um, it's sort of everybody's in the boat and we're rowing the same direction. Okay. You go going back to intercept and then Armis and then no name. So one common thread is, is really yeah. startup right now. You know, you can agree or disagree with me, but uh, often culturally very different to startups, maybe in the Valley. Over yeah. here, yeah. very aggressive kind of cultures about going after things in a certain way. And yet you've been the first person in the U.S. Any any learnings from how to manage that time differences and culture wise? Yeah, I, I think it's a great question. Uh, I will just say this out loud. I've been to Israel, I don't know, maybe eight, ten times. Um, I love the country. I love the culture of the Israelis. They're they're just uh, just an overall sediment for me. Is is just I'm just incredibly impressed of how much how much they do, and it's specifically with how much they do with their mind. How they they're so strong mentally, and and you're talking about a country that has very limited resources, yet their GDP is is just off the hook for the as small a country it is. So just that's just, just I just, I love the people. I love the country. And so it's that affinity that I'm able to work with the founders of RMS and the, now the founders of No Name. And they're very close personal friends of mine. They're people that I adore and love very much. And, and I think that that's super important. I think that you start there, right? When, uh, as you're building it out, you, you build this trust and, um, adoration between, the uh, Israel team and the U.S. team and trust and and keep working hard at it because my experience with the Israeli, especially the engineering team, is largely in Israel for both Armis and and uh, No Name. Is that they'll they'll work twenty five hours a day. It's just incredible the work ethic, but the U.S. team has to respond. We have to match them toe-to-toe in terms of our devotion to the company and to work hard and to understand what they're trying to do and then import what is happening in the platform and move it over to the U.S. so we can sell it and they don't have to be involved with every transaction. And so it's it's actually with a ton of excitement and uh, and when you see what can be built in 
in week, like we do these two week sprints at no name where we bring in features that at, at a McAfee would have taken, you know, three years. I mean, unfortunately I'm, it's not a joke. Yeah. Like it, it, it's, it's, it's significant. Like we, like we introduced a GCP, this was over a year ago, but we did, we introduced GCP to a fortune 10 customer and we did it in a two week sprint because I come from a place of awe of, of, and seeing, and they're large, they're young, young, just really aggressive. They're right. They're aggressive, but they're also great humans. Like I, my experiences is that they, they care. Nobody cares about people more than, than the Israelis and, and, and the, and the company. So, um, but they do keep the bar high, right? Because they're working hard and they built, great technology and they're building technology for customers and not building technology just because it's great technology. They're, they're, we're trying to build a great company so that the bar is high. And so the expectation is for the U S team, the EMEA team, our APAC team that we, we also are accountable to, to deliver and to contribute and to add value and to, uh, and to keep pace with this incredible pace set by the Israelis. When you think about, uh, you know, the growth of the go to market team, um, how much is that an influence then when you're thinking about the right people in the right roles? And do you think more about go to market or do you think, no, we've got to think about this more holistically? It's a shade of both, but largely my focus is in go to market, right? And I think this is true for any startup is that customer acquisition is so important, right? And so it's communicating frequently and often with the Israeli team uh, to making sure that what we're building is aligning to what we're seeing in the market. So we, we have these daily meetings where we're, we're going through all, all the customers that are testing our product. And so we're, we're very close technically on making sure that we're solving problems that are meaningful for customers. Um, and then it's, it's attracting that talent. When, when I think about the, the early hires is that I want to bring in people who will bring three with them or four with them. They'll bring a solution architect. They might bring a field marketing person. And it's back to that earlier theme that we talked about, Andrew, of, um, you know, high talent attracts high talent. I, I mean, I think it's sort of a, maybe that's the, the phrase that is sort of overused, but we've seen it work at No Name where we, we bring in one, I'm thinking of a, a lady that's that, uh, one of our RVPs and with her, she brings four, unbelievable sales reps right and and so we just we've seen that in in terms of the ability to scale the organization very quickly so when i started you know a year and a half ago i was one in in my organization alone there's uh, i think 107 people now in the go-to-market organization so we're in apac we're in europe and the guys that are running pk over in apac is he's an incredible leader dirk and europe is amazing and and uh, we've got a lot of good things going on in the U.S. as well. With that rate of growth in the team, then, um, culture can go out of control very quickly <laughs> if, yeah. if you're not intentional, I guess, about what you want to really create. I'm wondering how you approach that and what your, what your ethos is around culture. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's so important, right? And, you know, back to the theme of startups is, is that you can't, you can't have churn. You can't have churn with your customers, and you can't have churn with your with your early employees. They've got to they've got to stick, right? Like they've got to make it. And then there's also this theme that you have to have when whoever you bring in. Even now, we're so young and we're still small. 
is to see anybody that comes to no name has to add immediate value. Like they have to contribute. You work hard, play hard, and then you need some win behind your sales. And so that's that's where grace shows up, right? Is is this idea that um, uh, you you just you make choices and they and they're the right choices, right? And sometimes it's a bit of a gamble. Not every every choice hiring choice specifically works out, but our our success rate so far, you know, of, of, of over the hundred people that are part of the organization of the in eighteen months of putting it together, only one person's left the organization, and so that's it's a really it's a testament to the entire team and the culture that we're building. That we look out for each other, that we care about each other, we care about each other's families. We are a family, but we also have our own families, and so. I think that there's a big, uh, call it a constitution within our organization that, that we have each other's back, that we look out for each other, and that we're all building a great company. And the, the key, I think, Andrew, is that we have a stated goal that we want to take no name public. But once you have that stated goal, then the most important thing is the journey to that goal. It's not the goal itself. It's like every day, are we having fun? Are we growing? Are our problems better today than they were yesterday are we solving higher quality problems and so we have some kpis around that that um you know sort of help us organizationally but person to person make sure that everybody's growing uh when none of us will be at no name forever so the idea is is that anybody that we bring to no name that when they leave no name they're a better seller they're a better person they're but like whatever their goals are that we help them get to their goals, and then and then when they go to their next uh, opportunity, they're they're better set for it. You mentioned high quality problems. What what's a example of a high quality problem you're you're faced with right now that you're you're mulling over? I think it's the extension of our platform, right? And so when when we started, uh, like from a technology perspective, uh, a problem that we were trying to solve is is it which which clouds do we integrate with first? And so now we're we're essentially integrated with all the clouds. And so sort of the next phase of that is, is that then how does the platform, um, it, like how do we keep growing? How do we keep adding more value? And so what we, we recently added to the platform, this idea of being able to test APIs in a pre-prod environment, it's really, it's a, it's a very cool feature. Really, it's a platform in itself for our customers. Our customers are very excited about it. And so now we have, from a technology perspective, we have all these different paths and we've gotten feedback from customers of where to go. And so that's, that. I think that's like an example of making sure that um, uh, you, you solve a problem and then, and then on Monday and then on Wednesday, you're solving a, a, a different problem where I think all of us have seen it is it in organizations, if you keep solving the same problem on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, six months from now, that's a real problem, yeah. right? So it's a pretty consistent focus for us, kind of one and done sort of thing of, of solve the problem and move on. Because you're always going to have problems. Like there's always going to be problems. You just want to make sure that problems that matter yeah. really make a difference. Is it fun? I joke with Oz, our CEO, my, uh, my goal is to live till I'm 108. And so uh, I'm officially addicted to startups. And so I've, I think I have, uh, if the math works, I have about 14 of them left in me. Once you get into this world and you understand it and you surround yourself with people 
that you adore and love. It's just, it's, it's the greatest thing on the planet. You know, my, my background, I have a, a little bit of special ops background. I was uh, an operator at SEAL team and, and these, this small team sort of operation is uh, very meaningful for me. And it's incredible what you can get done. It doesn't have to be a bunch of people, but if you can get a handful of people doing their best and, and working together, wow, like miracles can happen. Well, let's change gears quickly at the end here, Mike. Um, there is no better way to understand and, and really get to know the real Mike Baker than by using one of these bullshit LinkedIn polls that are out there right now. So I've got two for you. Um, no right or wrong answer. Don't worry. There's nothing to fail. Uh, first one is from Bill Farkerson at Sales Vault. Um, my biggest time management challenge is A, work-life balance, B, procrastination, or C, I'm busy but not productive. What is it for Mike? Well, I think the uh, it's it's probably A. The the but I'll I'll kind of preface it is is that I don't I don't believe in balance, and like how I operate my life is is that everything I do is out of balance. I have five kids, so any particular kid might need some like focus, and so I have to spend two hours with one of the teenage boys that I didn't plan on. So that's out of balance. And then there's times where, you know, that I have to spend um, with the business or with my wife, Jill. So I hear life work balance and and, um, it's just operationally, it's not how I, how I work. It's it's more of like, um, can you be uh, wildly successful in a completely out of balance life? And and I I feel really good about my chances. You know, I like, I like that. So. It seems like adaptability is probably the better word for you, right? Maybe, yeah. That's probably that's probably a better word. Okay. Sure. Last one from Sohail Bati. Uh, what did you want to be when you were younger? And I'll give you five options here: A, an entrepreneur; <laughs> B, an educator; C, a professional sports person; D, a rock star; or E, something completely different. So, uh, truth be known, is is it? Um, you know, I'm five nine. I'm short. I'm really slow. I can't jump. But I always thought that I would play in the Olympics on the Olympic basketball team, <laughs> and I just never quite made it. Right? I've gotten over it though. I've recovered. So, so NBA was that? Was it? <laughs> it was just the Olympics. Actually, really? the 1972 Olympics was a tragedy for me. It was the first time the U.S. lost the gold medal to Russia. I was upset, and then, like by God, I was gonna, I was gonna be in the 1980 Olympics to. Uh, bring back the gold, uh, and so it uh, didn't quite work out that way. But yeah, uh, not to worry. Okay. Uh, you've got yeah. uh, another forty years left to do that, though, so can't rule that. That's right. right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so finally, Mike, uh, I would imagine the answer is yes. Are you hiring at No Name right now? Yeah, the go-to-market, but it's across the board too. We're we're actually building out an engineering organization in uh, the U.S. as well. We're uh, investing heavily in, in federal business. Uh, we're very excited about the opportunity to work with the U.S. government and, and state and local, as well as just the largest companies. Uh, so there's there's just a enormous amount of opportunity. And I, I love the space from a seller perspective, Andrew. When you think about as a seller, what do you want? I want to be involved with cloud native. I want to be uh, on the cutting edge of new channels, leveraging AWS Marketplace and Azure, GCP, and so that'd be the other consideration for folks in the audience, whether it's No Name or some other company, 
is thinking about where the puck is going, where the selling is going to happen over the next five years, not where it is today or where it was, you know, three years ago and go there. And I think that uh, you'll find uh, not only, you know, a lot of money, but you also find a lot of happiness and growth too. So, and I think about no name in, in that bucket, obviously. And uh, if people are interested, obviously the careers page at no name, if they want to get a hold of you, Mike, where would you send them? You know, just, uh, uh, I don't know if we can post it somewhere, but my LinkedIn it is probably the, uh, I'm pretty frequent on LinkedIn. I've got a bunch of contacts there and just message me and I'll make sure that you get in touch with the right part of the company to, to start some conversations, but would love to hear from folks and also some feedback on the, on the podcast of any, any comments. And I'm actually more interested in negative comments just around what, what could have been more useful for your time. And so, uh, uh, glad to help there. Yeah, if you got ideas on that, you know, message Mike, message myself, Andrew at unstoppable.do is the best place to get hold of me. Always looking for ideas and uh, suggestions about how to keep getting better. Uh, with that, Mike, it was great to chat again today. Great catching up here on the great success you're having over at No Name following on from Armis. And I could be happier for you and the family and, and how things are going. Again, always uh, love to reconnect with you, Andrew. And really honored to, to be with you and, and uh, in any way I can help just, just let me know thanks Mike it would mean a lot to me and to the continued growth of the show if you'd help get the word out so how do you do that easily there are two ways firstly just simply send a link to a friend send a link to the show to this episode um, you can email it, text it, Slack it, whatever works for you and is easy for you. The second way is to leave a super quick rating. And sometimes that can seem complicated, so I've made it as easy for you as I can. You simply have to go to ratethispodcast.com slash cyber. That's ratethispodcast.com slash cyber. And it explains exactly how to do it. Either of these ways will take you less than 30 seconds to do, and it will mean the world to me. So thank you.